Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain a leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years' experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. So are you nervous yet? I am. I'm old enough to be really worried about this coronavirus, and my wife struggles with asthma and a heart condition, and uh, it's not been a good time for anybody and not been a good time for us, but we've kind of made the best of it. And I want to talk to you about some ways that I think that you can make the best of this thing Um, you know, whatever is going on, wherever you live, uh, wherever you're at in the state of trying to reactivate your church or to expand the church online, whatever it is you're doing, there's some common sense things that we can do to just make this thing work a little bit better for us. My wife and I beat the rest of the state into voluntary lockdown. You know, we came home from a trip and we realized we had been on six flights. We'd been in airports for hours on end and uh, we were a little bit worried that we would take the virus from the airport that we'd been in or the one of the airports and take it to church. So we got home late on a Saturday night and uh, decided not to go to church the next day. In fact, what we did is we went to the dollar store and loaded up on a bunch of hand sanitizer and already had some face masks. And the day after that, we went to the grocery store and did it big time. And you know, the result is that we've been to pharmacy twice. I don't go to Costco. I go to a very small pharmacy. I'm seeing doctors online, which is probably going to be the future for all of us, doing whatever I can to avoid crowds. Uh, I, have, I have not lost anybody, but I have several friends who have lost loved ones to this virus. And so this is a very serious thing. I know that some of you are living in states that just really haven't been touched by the thing. And there's a whole bunch of virus deniers and people who think the government brought this thing all up so that they could spend four or five trillion dollars trying to control us to whatever end, I don't understand. All I know is that uh, people are dying. This is a very serious thing. You know, those people are saying, oh yeah, well, the flu takes more people out than the virus. Well, yes, it does. But the flu takes more people out than gun violence does. And that's not a good reason to allow everybody in the country to have a gun. If we can do something to prevent deaths, we need to do that. And so we're doing it. And and I'm trying to cope, and I know that you're trying to cope, and that some of us are doing better than others. And, you know, for me, I'm a natural introvert. I can do what I'm doing right now, but I like to be alone. My favorite thing in life to do is read a book. I'm learning to paint little acrylic landscapes that are pretty stupid looking, but they're fun for me. And so I'm really enjoying the extra time that I have to catch up on projects around the house. I'm adding a couple blocks to a retaining wall, found out that I can order cement products online and have them delivered at my house, catching up on things for the ministry. Actually, my website even looks a little better than it used to. And Zoom gives me an outlet to be in touch with people. And and so I'm still coaching pastors. And in fact, at one point, I got pretty depressed. I was coaching so many people, so many Zoom chats every day that uh, it just uh, lack of control and it was overwhelming me. But basically, I'm I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm staying in touch with people that I've mentored over the years. I'm staying in touch with my sister in Hawaii, with friends in Japan, some people in Europe, just people that I love dearly, guys that I'm currently mentoring and, and coaching. And so I still, though, 
occasionally find myself waking to an occasional day of depression, which is what caused me to write that. Depression is a little unusual for me. I've had a bout with it in my past, but normally if I'm going to struggle emotionally, it's going to be with anxiety. I try to be really careful that I don't go down a less than helpful emotional path. And I want to just talk about some things that I think that we can do, you know, whatever is, uh, the, you know, our affliction of choice or the thing that we tend to, uh, we can find some ways to just, you know, curtail some of the damage that's being caused by being locked up in the house. And if you're a parent locked up with your kids 24 seven, and, and if you're a pastor, you got people calling you and nagging at you all the time. Uh, let's just talk about some things that will get us through that. But First, let's just kind of describe um, the, the, what I call the evil triumvirate, uh, stress, anxiety, and depression. Uh, stress is really a state of emotional strain triggered by a negative or demanding circumstance. And we know that a certain amount of stress is good for us. It, it helps us to stay alert. It, it helps us to just stay in control of things. It helps us to, to want to be on top of the world that we're in. But too much of it begins to, to press you down and actually begins to destroy the tissues in your body, they're telling us. And so we want to manage stress. Anxiety is unfounded fear. And boy, I've been there, done that. I wrote a book uh, called Defeating Anxiety. Actually, I've written three books that are on Amazon about anxiety and fear and stress. Very little that I've written about depression, but uh, anxiety is, you know, it's, it's kind of my anti-drug of choice. And anxiety is kind of an unfounded fear that's usually caused by uncertainty and loss of control. And that's exactly the world that we live in now, a world of uncertainty, a world of loss of control. I talked with a bunch of pastors about how you're going to bring your churches back online. And, you know, everybody has a plan and everybody's afraid of their own plan. Except for one guy, he said, our church is going to wait until the fall before we make a decision. Everything is staying online. It's a big church to 3,500 people. And so we want our people to feel certain about what's going on in their life. And they can be certain that we'll be online until the fall. And then we're trying to figure out how we can plant churches out of the information that we've gleaned from, you know, what we're doing in the COVID time. So some good time can, can come out of the bad thing that's going on. Depression is unhappiness or despondency, which can be caused by anything from bad news, which we're getting on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute minute basis, gloomy weather, which does take me down. Sometimes depression is caused by inordinate demands on our time. If you're a pastor, that's probably what's going on in your life right now. And so if the virus is causing you one or maybe all three of these nasty conditions, here's some things that you can do to protect yourself. I've actually kind of listed five steps toward um, just emotional health, spiritual health, just getting back to where we need to be. The first one is just cut back on your news intake. The Apostle Paul wrote that we should think on whatever things are good, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure. That certainly doesn't, doesn't include a 24-7 diet of the news. Long ago, actually about 2002, was when I had my nasty bout with anxiety. I turned off TV news. And I was one of those guys that would watch three news channels at the, at the same time, just going up and down, up and down with it little clicker in my hand, making my wife crazy. And I found that I couldn't handle it. And for a little while, I couldn't even handle the stress that was brought on by the tone of voice changing when they did commercial. And so I traded television news for the internet, mostly because I could you know, get in the morning, check the news, read my Bible, drink my coffee, 
go about my day, and then late in the evening, check the news again to see if something has changed. And so I mostly stick with print news. I don't even like to watch videos on the internet. It just allows me better control of the negative impact that bad news has upon me and my state of emotional well-being. A friend told me recently, someone in our microchurch, that she is working from home. She works for a big corporation, one that you've all heard of. And because of the virus, she's working from home. And she leaves CNN running in the background while she works, and it depresses her. And it was like big revelation. Well, you know what? Turn it off. Switch it to Pandora. Listen to music that uplifts you. One member of our microchurch just jumped right on the thing about get into worship music because it'll lift your day up. And, and somebody else said, yeah, so we'll rock and roll. Whatever works for you, let it work and make the thing be a blessing. Don't let it be a curse. As to reading, I found a couple of sites that track the progress. There's a Time Magazine site that I put in a blog and I'll put in the notes that are attended to this podcast called Flattening the Curve. And it just measures what's going on in the United States. And actually, it's been kind of good news. And so Again, you know, 15 seconds, and I've got everything I really need. On another front, uh, one thing to do is just don't let social media ruin your life. Cut back on the hours that you devote to scoping out what other people have to say, good, bad, false news, right news, whatever. Avoid clicking on coronavirus hashtags, mute keywords on Twitter, or unfollow or mute especially negative accounts. If there are people who just are putting out stuff that depresses you, well, hide or unfollow or block, do whatever you have to do to get rid of things that overwhelm you. The same goes for WhatsApp. The second piece of advice here is to set boundaries around your time. And I want to start with pastors because that's mostly who's listening to this, and particularly pastors of smaller churches. You need to set office hours. You know, I can recall when I was a young pastor, I was just getting bombed by the phone. One day, You're not even going to believe this because you'll think I'm exaggerating. But one day, I got 45 calls on my day off. I had Monday off. It's the only day off. 45 telephone calls. I finally got the courage to call up the phone company. In those days, you could unlist your telephone number. So I got a new number, and they unlisted it. And then the very first call that I got on that very same day was a lady who had bullied her way past the whatever she was, the unlisted calls operator or whatever she was who blocked the calls. I mean, this lady called the operator and she told somebody, this is an emergency. I have to talk to this man. And so they didn't give her my number, but they put the call through. And she just ate me out for for unlisting my telephone number. I mean, and she was wrong and she was ridiculously wrong. And the following week, a really interesting thing happened in church. There was a guy named Rich Agazino who was like my best friend at the time. And a real tough guy, funny guy. And so he shows up in our hippie church wearing a suit and tie, which is a little unusual. And he had shaved his beard and gotten a haircut, which was also unusual. And uh, he stood up to preach and got up and he did a really interesting thing. He, he uh, when he first stood up, everybody laughed at him because he looked so different. And, you know, the suit was so out of place and all that. And then he, he paused and he goes, uh, I know why you're all laughing at me. You're all laughing because my beard is so immature. Now, what happened was he shaved, and then he had about a two-day growth on the beard. And he goes, you know, I can grow a full, rich beard. I'm Italian, and we can do that. Now, my beard is immature, and he paused, and he goes, just like this church is immature. We need to respect our pastor. We need to respect his time. 
we need to grow up and begin to minister to each other because that's what this is all about. And he went on with one, one of the few sermons that I remember graphically for my whole life. And this was way back in the early 1970s. Now, what, what am I getting to? Well, you as a pastor need to keep office hours. You need to inform your congregation ahead of time that you're going to do this. You need to let them know which is your day off and that you won't be answering your phone on your day off. I turn mine off. I don't want to hear even from my friends on my days off. You need to inform them which hours that the phone will be active. You need to let them know which hours that you especially won't be studying for something and that you'd be available to talk with them if they have counseling needs or whatever. Oh, by the way, you shouldn't be doing pastoral counseling anyway. That should all be happening in the microchurches that you're operating within the congregation and those microchurches that are functioning according to Zoom right now. But let them know that these are the hours that you answer your phone the rest of the time. You only speak to, to family and very, very close friends. Everybody in your church that has a job works a set schedule, and you should too. You need to get control of your time. You need a daily break from other people's problems. You need a weekly break from everything. And, you know, I read somewhere in a book one time about a concept that really might interest you. You could follow up on it. It's called Sabbath. To some degree, the same thing goes for your family. You know, if you're a parent, then give your kids a schedule. Let them know what time they're expected to be in their rooms entertaining themselves with toys. Give them a certain amount of time that they can count on watching television or looking at the internet or playing with their iPod, whatever it is that you've provided for them. And then schedule time that you're going to spend with them because basically as a parent, you're going to focus on entertaining your kids. Let them know the time that they can expect to be with you in a time that they can't expect to be with you. This is valuable. As a young pastor, again, you know, I was getting overwhelmed. I didn't know how to control time. I didn't know how to protect myself from the congregation. Uh, we set aside television nights. There were TV shows that our kids liked. And, and so we blocked time. We're going to, you know, those are your hours. And, and there were other hours for other things and certain things that we did on Mondays on my day off. Let your kids have a life that they can count on, but also a life that they can count on not making your life miserable. Help them to organize their lives around your schedule rather than the other way around. This is actually something that's going to benefit them after the coronavirus is over and all that. Create a time for dating your spouse. You know, my wife and I, it's, it's going for walks. It's certain TV shows that she likes that, uh, you know, she's more given to television than I am, but I want to be there with her. Uh, one friend of, my, of mine and his wife, escape to a takeout restaurant and then they drive to the edge of a park in the city where they dine out while just watching the trees and the grass grow greener. Find something that you can do that protects your time with your mate. This is hugely, hugely important. I think you should schedule a time for daily exercise. It's good for your body. It's good for your emotions. For some of us, it's good for us spiritually because it becomes a prayer time. Uh, my wife and I live in a in a really hilly neighborhood, so, but the downside of that is it's a very very steep hill, and so um, it, we felt locked in. We used to go to the Y every day, and now we can't do that. And so uh, we ventured out, and, and we're taking laps around the you know the neighborhood, and um, we're finding that the more that we do it, the easier it gets. We discovered that if we went in one direction and made the circuit, uh, it was a longer, steeper hill. If we just turn in the other direction, it's easier for us to do. And so we're, we're working our way up. And, 
it's good for us and it's good for us because we're just talking and hanging out and you know our marriage has been one our dating life was one of we didn't have any money so it was one of going for long walks together this is very very good for us but scheduling and accomplishing a routine of exercise gives you the ability to check something off your daily list you know that sense of accomplishment i did it it's like making your bed every morning you need to have some things that you can get up and say, I did it. I'm in control of my life just a little bit more than I would be if I just kind of lay around and do nothing. And while we're talking about accomplishment, well, you know, one thing to do is just be careful about all of the advice that you're getting for the coronavirus, hand washing, sanitation, all that. Don't go OCD on it. You know, you need to, you know, I have a routine for opening my mail. I, I walk down the hill to the mailbox. It's one of those neighborhoods where there's locking mailbox for everybody. I put my key in. I pull the mail out with two fingers. I walk up the hill. The garage door is open. I lay the mail on the floor so it can sort of incubate and the virus can die if it's there, which is probably not. And then I go and wash my hands. Unfortunately, we have a sink in the garage, but I also have some little hand sanitizer there. And so I have a set routine for doing this and protecting myself. Don't go all nuts. You know, you can wash your hands 45 times a day and it's not going to do you any more good than carefully washing your hands when you need to. Don't let this thing become a fear fetish. The third important thing that I think is something we need to talk about is stay connected with those who you value most. You probably aren't going to be aware if they show up or not, but who would you want at your funeral? You know, one of my friends passed away a number of years ago. He was kind of a famous pastor. and I lived in Hawaii at the time. I flew to Oregon for the funeral. There were 6,000 people at that funeral. And I think a lot of them were they were fans. They weren't friends. I have a handful of friends that I'll be mad at them if they don't show up at my funeral. Although that will be a little difficult since I'll be the one laying there and the object of their attention. Who are those people that you would want at your funeral? Because those are the people that you need most in your life. And they're the people that you need to call on the phone. You need to schedule some Zoom time with them or some other face-to-face media. Because just being in touch is going to lift your spirits. And it's going to help you prioritize and put into perspective all the other stuff that's going on in your life. And you begin to realize what and who are important and what or who are just a little bit less important. Fourth bit of advice here is to lighten up for some recreation. I recently discovered a little TV thing on YouTube by John Krasinski called Some Good News. It's a kind of a fake TV news show. And the guy's funny anyway. I liked him in, in um, TV shows that I've seen him in, but I love him on this spoof that he does. He actually connects good news, collects good news and passes it on. And he pulls off some really great stunts that just help brighten people's worlds. Great thing. Look it up. SGN, Some Good News by John Krasinski on YouTube. Have you ever watched funny cat videos? I never did until coronavirus, but I found that it made a nice break from the news. I don't know about you, but I love Eddie Murphy, and I can get past the profanity if that bothers you. But I would much rather watch Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop because of the humor that's there than to go binge on The Lord of the Rings because of the darkness that's there. I love Lord of the Rings. I love the music. I love the story. I love the saga. I love everything about it, but I'm going to save it for a brighter day. Speaking of life in the Shire, my wife and I are into gardening, and we recently discovered a guy named Monty Don on Netflix. He's a British gardener. In fact, they say he's Britain's favorite gardener, and there's a whole bunch of little shows by Monty Don, and 
well, he just really lightens our spirit. Just a very, very nice man, as well as a good gardener. And we learn a lot of stuff. And then I've taken up uh, acrylic painting. I bought a little book that I did this way before the coronavirus back in November. I bought a little book that has 54 five-inch by five-inch paintings, which you know, the, the, you can buy the canvases for about 60 cents a piece. Each lesson is a little painting, and uh, mine are pretty goofy at the moment, but I have a lot of fun doing it. I went out for a beer with a friend one night, and uh, we were in a microbrewery, and there's this guy on TV, and, you know, they show all the sports and all that. But here's this fluffy-headed guy doing oil painting, and all these people in the bar sitting there watching it. And so I went home and looked it up, and his name is Bob Ross in the 70s and 80s and, I guess, the 90s. He's a pretty famous painter, and he does these, like, 23-minute oil paintings of landscapes. Nice, soft voice, nice person. Actually, sounds like a believer to me when I hear him talk. The cool thing is that I'm addicted to 23 minutes of Bob Ross just before I go to bed at night. I'd rather go to bed hearing somebody talk about how to do oil painting, even though I'm doing acrylics, and I would go into bed with uh, 23 minutes of the news. These are some things that would help you, I think, in, in emotionally, spiritually, whatever. You know, the, the Bible says that, that laughter does good to a heart like a medicine. I love the humor stuff because it does lift me up. It gets me out of the, the dumps just smiling, just laughing. It's a good thing. I don't know if you're like me, but I got a bunch of old detective novels laying around. You know, I'm not into gore and violence and some of the stuff that passes for you know, paperback books these days is just not my cup of tea. But, you know, I found a series of books that were started in the 1930s about a, de- a detective named Nero Wolf, And I bought every one of them that I could find uh, used from Amazon. And there's uh, a, a guy named Parker. I, I read his books. There, there's several of these that are just escape novels. And, you know, I'd rather not be reading about church leadership in a time when I can't do much about it. And for sure, I'd rather not go to sleep on that kind of stuff because I end up thinking about it, waking up in the night, scheming and planning what I'm going to do next. These are just some tips for just, you know, just, just lighten up, get off the heavy stuff. And then the last thing is to make someone else's day. And I'm particularly aiming this at pastors. I wish my pastor would do this. In fact, I know some others that are. And uh, I love my pastor, love his humor, and could use a good dose of it every day. I may be piling on a little extra work, but it's very little. So here's what I would do if I was a lead pastor of a church right now. I would go to you version and I'd pick up on some of their five-day devotionals, not the long ones. You know, I've done, uh, you know, a whole year through the Bible with Nikki Gumbel, and I love that kind of stuff. But, you know, people have short attention spans and they get bored easily. And so I'd gather up as many of the five-day devotionals as I could. I'd read it. I'd soak in it, even if you do something different for your own devotions. I'd just read it and get on Facebook to Facebook Live with a 60-second recap of what you just read. If it's funny, if it can be funny, make it funny. Lighten everybody's day. Clue your congregation into your efforts. You know, email them, whatever. Let them know where it came from so that you're not plagiarizing somebody else's material. You're going to help the struggling saints who could just use a good dose of their pastor's face and voice during their own downtime. You know, I was a pastor in Southern California for 12 years before moving to Honolulu. And when we moved to Honolulu, we got on the radio. The interesting thing that happened was we noticed there was far less demand on my time for face-to-face counseling, I have needs, whatever. Well, they could just hear their pastor's voice on the radio. And it was more hearing their pastor's voice than actually seeking advice that they were after. And so I think just giving your friends, your church family, a little dose of you every day, 
would be a really good thing for them. And it's also going to be a good thing for you because, again, you've accomplished something. By the way, I have a friend in Japan. Actually, I had a friend in Japan. Uh, he passed away recently, and I got to actually be there for his funeral. He was pastoring pretty much the largest church in Kobe, Japan. It was one that we started way, way back. He's a goofy guy, really creative, one of the smartest guys I've ever known. Always had a different take on everything. You know, he became a pretty famous preacher over the internet because they were doing Facebook Live or something. And that was a good thing. But then he came up with this little goofy deal. He would do a 60-minute show every morning, Facebook Live or whatever they use in Japan. And for him, I wouldn't suggest this to you, but he'd wear a different goofy hat every day. He was a musician. So one day he'd be on a, I don't know, auto harp. One day he'd be on a guitar. One day he'd be on an ukulele. And he had this silly little song that he'd sing for about 10 seconds. And it kind of fits with like a lot of Japanese cartoon shows. They got these silly little songs. So it was kind of like that. It just engaged you. And then he'd give you like 20 to 40 seconds of wisdom from God's word. He was getting like 4,500 hits a week on this thing. He told me he, he got sick and eventually died from prostate cancer. But whenever he would go out and either like to go to medical appointments or they were planting churches all over Japan, whenever he'd be on a train going someplace, he said he'd get mobbed at the train stations. Everybody in the country seemed to know who he was because of this little thing that he did. Now, why am I saying that? Well, I'm saying that because it's really not my motive for you doing this. My motive for you doing this is that you would be a better pastor to your congregation. However, Stuff like this does go viral, and people will share it. They're not going to share your sermon, but they are going to share 60 seconds of you saying something good. And then somebody might find your sermon, find their way into a microchurch, and eventually find their way into the life and the family of your congregation. So I just hope this has been helpful. We're in this thing for the duration. It's going to continue to change the way that we live, the way that we lead our lives but it doesn't have to overwhelm us. We can fight back. We can take control over our spiritual life, our emotional life, our family life, our church life, and the relationship with those people that we hold dear. So stay safe. Uh, Pass this on to somebody. You'd be doing me a big, big favor. God bless. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.